Hello, friends. Welcome to the Christchurch Port Orange Midweek Podcast, where we deep dive into the scriptures we examined from the previous Sunday morning without the constraint of time, as well as discuss questions and topics of interest from members of our Christchurch family. I'm Pastor Jesse Jarvis, your host. Let's dive in. Hey there, friends. So good of you to join us. As you likely saw from the title before you clicked on this episode, we are talking today about uh, Israel a war in the Near East and um, its implications in our own country, as we've seen all sorts of protests happen uh, throughout the week. Um, Just to set this in uh, context, because this audio is available in perpetuity, um, October the 7th, there was an historic attack on Israel during, um, well, it's 50 years from the the uh, last major war that was there in that area and uh, during a holiday weekend for Jews. And so there was a surprise attack that seemed to be sophisticated and uh, ended in the death of hundreds of Israeli civilians and sparked what became a war in Israel between Hamas, the Palestinian authority in the Gaza Strip and um, the IDF and the leadership of the nation of Israel. And so that sparks no little controversy throughout the world, uh, both politically and religiously, but then also um, in the United States, geopolitically and religiously, as uh, the topic of Israel is a hot topic among Christians of various stripes. And um, also, the United States has played no small part in the history of an independent Israeli state and continues to do so um, albeit confusing. And so I wanted to have this conversation. And um, my goal in this conversation is to kind of calm fears and allow everyone who's a part of the Christchurch family to sit back and to think as biblically as possible. And then also to apply a wisdom in our interpersonal interactions because our goal is influence and to lead people to Christ. And so any of these things can become obstacles to that and a source of conflict. And so I want us to be prepared for conversations um, that are had in love, uh, even though they are highly contentious. So we will find that there's disagreement among believers and even among the Christchurch family ourselves. There's going to be differences politically and uh, religiously and, and so on. And so I want us to have this conversation And I wanted to invite you to be a part of listening to it. And we certainly invite your feedback and comments. You can always email me, jesse at joinedwithjesus.org, J-E-S-S-E at joinedwithjesus.org. I'd love to hear from you. And to have this conversation, um, I've invited uh, my good friend and um, missionary to Central Asia, who's got a lot of um, experience in the Near East and with Middle Easterners, Arabs, Christians, Muslims and Jews. Uh, Jonathan Nicholas is here. Say hey to everybody, Jonathan. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to have this conversation. And as always, we are joined by our tech director and current Hebrew student in his post-grad work, Bill Mayer. Hello. Welcome back. And so we're going to we're gonna chat. Um, obviously, everybody's in, invited to interject at any time. And I assume that the conversation will be somewhat um, free-formed and moving around. Um, but uh, I do want to kind of talk about um, the differing perspectives that are present uh, in and around this issue. So 
part of that comes from whether or not you've given any thought to this. So as a Christian, you probably have a lot of thoughts about Israel. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time and you've been a student of the word, then you're going to have some um, scriptures that come to mind. You, you're going to have maybe a um, interpretive method around which you understand and, and read the Bible. And that's likely to have been shaped by whatever voices were most influential in your early or current Christian experience. And um, have, being Christians in 21st century America and in Protestant evangelicalism, um, the voices there are pretty diverse around the topic of Israel. A lot of that's going to include things that you have read, studied, or listened to as it regards to end times prophecy, because Israel tends to play a central role in end times prophecy, both Old Testament and New Testament. And so your expectations about the role of Israel in the end of the world, and then your interpretation of current events is going to play into that. So I have been getting a number of questions from people asking specifically, is this, was this kind of like prophesied and is this a sign of the end and so on and so forth. And so uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with Jonathan was not only because um, of his experience in that part of the world and with different people groups than just um, American evangelicals in the South, um, but uh, he and I have also had a number of conversations about eschatology and uh, we hold different eschatological perspectives and interpretations of the Bible. And so I th- thought it would be helpful for us to talk about the implications of what has taken place in the con constraints of our kind of theological belief and interpretive method. And I also want our Christchurch family to hear that it's possible to think different things and also have uh, loving conversation and dialogue um, and also work together to bring people to that which matters most. And it's not the role of Israel in the end of the world. It is um, how you respond to the offer of salvation through faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be loving and demonstrate that and then also have a rigorous conversation um, because this does have massive implications. And so um, just to give a brief summary, and I, we have a, a podcast devoted to the eschatological views, which you can go back and find. Uh, you may have to go back to our previous channel to find that. I'm not sure. Oh, no, it's uploaded. Thanks, Bill. Good job. Um, you'll have to search eschatology um, in our podcast and you'll find that. But there are essentially four eschatological views from scripture that are currently held now. And they center around the, the timing of the return of Christ, which all Christians have as a part of their understanding of the gospel, the imminent return of Christ. And the scriptures are exceedingly clear that that's what we should expect. And then there's this uh, interesting prophecy at the end of Revelation about a millennial kingdom and so the, the um, four main eschatological views are going to center around the millennium and whether that occurs before, during, or after the return of Christ. And so you'll get um, premillennialism, which means Christ returns and then reigns on the earth for a thousand years. You'll get postmillennialism, which means the millennium is this spiritual reign of Christ that's um, characterized by peace and justice and the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies and New Testament prophecies. And then Christ comes back in bodily form at the end of that uh, millennialism. Then you're going to get amillennialism, which technically means no millennium, which means that the millennium itself is um, a metaphorical description of the church age. Um, And those of us, when I say us, because that's my camp, uh, who are amillennial, we prefer realized millennialism because it's not to say there's no millennium that's just unbiblical 
it's right there in the text. <laughs> so, um, but the goal, the, the idea there is that, uh, Christ returns, um, at the end of the church age and um, that millennial reign of Christ that's, that's, um, spoken of there is a picture of the binding of the deceiving of the enemy from, uh, leading people astray and the, the era, the new age of the spirit and uh, the gospel call and results in the evangelization of the world. And then Christ returns in bodily form for final judgment. And so those are the three um, historic uh, eschatological views. And then the fourth mm-hmm. is a, a late, a late edition, which is called pre-millennial or his, uh, dispensational premillennial as opposed to historic premillennialism. Mm-hmm. And so dispensationalism is a entirely late construct around which the Bible is interpreted. And it has as its central interpretive factor, literalism, because it comes out of fundamentalism. And because of that literalism, it places the prophecies surrounding Israel as pertaining only to Israel. And so they can't be applied to Christ in any meaningful way. That would be called replacement theology in their perspective. And so you'll have a major influential people, especially in our generation, because the um, creators of TBN, um, the Left Behind series, like the most the most popular voices and the loudest voices of uh, our Christian generation, Hal Lindsey, uh, who's late the late great Planet Earth author, the people who are the most influential in modern evangelicalism hold this l- kind of later um, theological construct. It was originally um, at, what John Darby followed by C.I. Schofield. This is going to be in the 1800s. Um, and then, of course, it gained a lot of momentum because of its projections about the centrality of Israel during the Zionist movement of the late 19th century, early 20th century. And then, of course, the reestablishment of Israel as a geopolitical state in 1948. And so it is these things that actually have given credence to dispensational premillennialism. Um, and a lot of what you're going to hear in popular level television Christianity, especially um, is going to be Zionist and dispensational. So, oh, and for those of you who want to go back and listen, it's episode eighteen, titled "Revelation and Eschatology." Great, thanks, Bill. Yeah, help them find it. That's good. So, I uh, already outed myself as a amillennialist, and that comes from my interpretive method. Um, how that works for me is not that I started. I read those views, and I thought this one makes the most sense. Um, like Bill, we were having a pre-show conversation. He was saying when it comes to his millennial position, he's kind of open-handed about it and has a bunch of questions and checks. And then as those get answered through his exposure to the other scriptures, um, he's kind of like, it pushes him in one direction. I had this, a similar experience. Um, so I, I developed that over a a period of time, but there's going to be a different implication specifically in Bible prophecy. And so, because there's an impulse in all of us to make sense of the world we live in, and to ask if this is part of the Bible's prophecy, especially as it relates to Israel, this is why, especially historic premillennialism, which for centuries was the position of the Catholic Church and many in the Protestant Church, and so it's a prominent and worthwhile um, eschatological view to consider, and it does have implications for Bible pros- prophecy and the role of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I would call myself a historical premillennialist, um, and. I don't know. I don't know that it matters so much, other than the fact that the way the way you look at it does, like uh, Jesse was saying, have implications for even the times that we find ourselves in, um, as we as we are ever nearer to 
the end of the last days, I guess you could say. I think we've been in the last days for the last couple thousand years. But um, yeah, I would say that we're we're nearing the end. Um, I don't think any of us know exactly when that is, but I, I would say that it, as you look at you know, you know the Bible as a, as a whole narrative, right? Um, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, you see you see this theme of God working through His people Israel, and by extension us as we as we've been grafted in. Mm-hmm. There's this whole narrative of um, you know chastisement of His people for their disobedience, and 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 even scattering in exile into other nations. Yeah. Um, but that God would have to bring them back into the land to actually deal with them as a nation again, mm-hmm. and we see that regathering there, and then and then you know the the premillennialism part of that that comes in there. Um, I, to me, it's just like, well, it's just, it's in the text and it's, <laughs> it's pretty simple. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I, I'm kind of a simple person when it comes to interpreting uh, scripture, I think, and maybe that's a, a fault. I don't know, but, but I like to just read it and, and understand it as simply as possible. If, if, if it can be understood simply, then, then why not interpret it that way? And, yeah. and what I see uh, in that narrative is that, you know, Jesus is the greater Adam. Yeah. Jesus is going to be, in my view, the greater Moses. I believe he's going to lead his people on another exodus when he returns back into the land because I believe they're going to be dispersed again mm. and, and in a punishment uh, for his people. I mean, it, it seems like as you read the Old Testament, it's it's repeated over and over and over in the prophets of of this time of Jacob's trouble, this time of, of great persecution that has never been experienced before. And, and if you look at the Holocaust, I would say that was a pretty great persecution, (laughs) you know, of the people, great tribulation. And there's going to be some that's even greater than that. And so I, I see what, what looks like, you know, when Jesus said, you're going to flee, I see that coming again for them, that that they're going to have to flee again because these nations surrounding them want to destroy them. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. Um, Jesse mentioned that, um, uh, that I, I had worked in the Middle East, and we, yeah, I've probably been in 20 different Middle Eastern countries, sharing the gospel, discipling people, bringing in Bibles, and it's interesting because the theme there is, um, even amongst believers, is that when you talk about Israel, this thing switches in them where it's just this rage comes out about Israel, and it's it's shocking almost because you you don't experience that as much here in the West. Um, it's we're not as close to the situation, and and the problem I think is like most of these believers in these other uh, countries in the Middle East are. Uh, relatively new believers Mm -hmm. and so they have grown up in this culture of hating israel right and when they become born again that's something that has to maybe be discipled right it's it's kind of this this idea of we are being changed but it it doesn't necessarily happen instantly right it's a lifetime sometimes of of growing in the lord and even learning to love other people and so when you have this culture of just every day in and out talking about how much we hate israel it becomes it becomes a real issue when someone becomes a born again mm-hmm. to actually change that mindset of now I need to love I need to love them yeah. <laughs> as my brothers and sisters yeah. yeah yeah and I think that particular issue is one of the pieces that's very confusing to people in our listening audience mm-hmm. because in the United States being disconnected from the struggles of Israel and of course mm-hmm. you know I'm in my early forties and so I remember what was taking place between um, Hamas uh, in, in Israel in 2005, in, in yep. the second in, infatata mm-hmm. in the 90s, with, when I was a kid, when Bill Clinton was, you know, had Yasser Arafat and, yeah. and um, um, what's his name? I'm blanking now. Rabin. 
um, these, these figures trying to broker peace in the Middle East. And so like this, I grew up in a, an unstable Israel. Like I always thought when I was a kid, I would love to go to see the places of the Bible. And my, the the thought was like, it's too dangerous of a place to go. Right. However, for the past 20 or so years, 15, 20 years, it's been relatively stable. Mm -hmm. You know, we've gotten used to Hamas lobbing missiles in Iron Dome, intercepting them. And that's like, oh, that's like fly swatting in the Middle East. However, it hasn't, it really hasn't come home to roost. I think a lot of people are, were surprised by the pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas response on college campuses in the United States from what had previously been called the radical left in America, which is now ever increasingly just associated with the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. So that's become mainstream and not extreme. And then the on the right, um, there's this, in the development of the last four, eight years, this kind of um, extreme right wing that is now being kind of uh, parroted by the left to have control of the major media outlets. And the whole idea of extremism as being related to Donald Trump and the MAGA movement and the association with uh, political uprising and the blurring of uh, peaceful conflict, both on the extreme left and extreme right, mm-hmm. is now kind of preparing the world for the things that we saw during 2020, during the George Floyd riots, uh, the January 6th protest. There's just this uh, ever-increasing uh, move towards justifiable violence, which is un-American. I mean, mm-hmm. we go all the way back to a bloody revolution and the constitution was built out of we need to be able to have peaceful conflict like the goal of being a united states is to be able to like work through our differences in a way that's good for our people and so our country was built on judeo-christian principles that hold up freedom as of the ultimate value and the only way to have that freedom and honor the freedom of other people is to work through our differences in peace Mm -hmm. and that is losing value in our culture and so I think we, we think rather nostalgically about that as like being American, but the America I'm living in is increasingly different than the one that I grew up learning about in grade school and middle school with a Christian education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, this issue of division, um, even amongst the church and the believers, I, it's interesting to me because even, even this issue with Israel right now, it's really bringing out to light on social media and places like that the real divisions that are there it just being being amplified right like even things that maybe we wouldn't say to each other face to face it's just being broadcast all over social media and yeah. it's 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 causing even more division right it's polarizing both sides even more and i th- i really think as as time goes on israel is going to become more and more of an issue uh, like I said, when I'm in the Middle East, <laughs> it's like you can be even a Christian and it's not as big of a deal. Right. But if you support Israel, oh, man. Oh, yeah. You're oh, on man. the wrong side oh, of man. history. Yeah. And so it's what's interesting, like you said, is to see in the United States and other Western countries now how 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 much this has risen up. This this mindset has really become out in the open, you yeah. know, and I, I feel like it's this whole, the whole idea of kind of. Um, you know, like the riots that went, went across that kind of spread through the Middle East starting in Egypt. Yeah. It's kind of this idea of lawlessness now, right? Where if we don't get what we want, we're going to go and we're going to take it, right. you know? And that spirit has kind of been spreading throughout the world uh, yeah. on an ever-increasing level. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and I think that that idea of lawlessness and the son of lawlessness and mm-hmm. the Antichrist spirit starts to hearken people to those biblical texts about the end yep. of the world. And um, I, I think that is 
one of the one of the things that I'm concerned with pastorally is the blurring of the lines of um, faith and government. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we talk about violence, we have to start to, and I, even I say military violence, so like justifiable war even, um, it's important that we have a conversation about um, the role of the church and the role of the kingdom of God and the role of governments and brokering peace and wars and who's on the right side of, of, of what's mm-hmm. the good team, what's the bad team. And so there's an oversimplification uh, and it comes from a, really a failure to understand the scriptures and also history. There's a real um, uh, flat kind of just pro-Israel American Christianity mm-hmm that isn't taking into consideration nuance or uh, theological disposition. So for instance, most people don't understand how Israel even got to be where it is today from where it was when Jesus was on the earth. And so, you know, when Jesus was on the earth in the land of Israel, in Galilee, in, you know, born in Bethlehem, he was a refugee to Egypt. He returned and grew up in Nazareth, Podunk, Northern part of Israel but had his following went into Jerusalem was a central figure in this, like in this, uh, geography. And this is where all this biblical stories went down. He was crucified there outside the gate. And, and so like this, this little bit of real estate is central to Judaism, to Christianity, and also to Islam. Mm -hmm. And so you have to understand where the intersection of these three monotheistic religions intersects, why they, each hold claim to this land and then what happened to the Jews after uh, the death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, particularly under Roman oppression in the first century and when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. And so I'll say just from an eschatological and biblical interpretive method, I'm going to, I'll out my own kind of weaknesses. So you already mentioned that um, the amillennialist position, which does have a strong historic uh, reach, just like historic premillennialism does. There's a lot of, of, um, of the church fathers who are amillennialist in their understanding. Um, however, it does require the, uh, it, well, I should say a cohesive amillennialism requires an idealist interpretation of Revelation so that the book of Revelation is cyclical mm-hmm. and not linear. Mm-hmm. And so the most simple reading of Revelation will lead you to a premillennial um, eschatological view. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned that you're just kind of, you're yep. I'm reading this simply, and this is kind of just what it seems to say to me. Mm-hmm. And that is true. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way that I read revelation is a bit more complex. I find it to be more interesting, mm-hmm. more fulfilling, um, and makes more sense. It resolves more of the problems that I perceive in the text than the linear reading, but mm-hmm. it is less simple. I um, mean, then another main obstacle to amillennialism is that because it it stems from an interpretive method that places Christ at the center, not Israel, that the Old Testament story of Israel and all of God's promises are actually fulfilled in Christ. And therefore, those who are joined with him by faith, both Jew and Greek, are now Israel. And I think this is the argument that Paul makes in Romans. Not all Israel is Israel. And then how does he use Israel? He uses actually, it's kind of confusing, especially in chapters 9, 10, and 11, where he refers to Israel as geoethnic Israel. And then he also refers to Israel as the Israel joined with Jesus by faith of both Jews and, and, and Greeks or Jews and the nations or ethnos. Mm-hmm. And so 
um, if you understand this fulfillment of Christ, well, then you can see that the Old Testament prophecies concerning Israel can have an interpretation that finds their fulfillment in Christ and specifically in the, um, what, especially what Jesus said in like the Olivet Discourse has like a pretty full fulfillment in AD 70 with the destruction of the temple. And that would be kind of like the calamity that you were describing earlier to me and not one that would come in the future. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm on the preterist side of the partial preterist side of interpreting the New Testament and to be an historic premillennialist lands you in the futurist side. Mm-hmm. So there's those, com- those components of Jesus teaching you would see as a future fulfillment and you would see the, the revelation as kind of chapters one through three being present day for the first century and then four to 22 being um, implications of a future prophetic return. And so like, because I would read those things as having been fulfilled, I would have a fulfillment theology kind of pejoratively called replacement theology. Um, I don't think that the church is the replacement of Israel. I think that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel, God's firstborn son, and that those who are in him, now the church made up of both Jews and Gentiles, uh, are a spiritual Israel. And that is the most faithful way to read the scripture. And so that there's a distinction, there's a difference there. But the dispersion, that kind of final diaspora that I would observe, you would see as just another in a series of diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because our difference is there, as an amillennialist, I wouldn't be looking at a geo-ethnic Israel as having a national identity that is given a right to the land in the same way that someone with an historic premillennial or certainly with a dispensational premillennial viewpoint would. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy to just go, oh, Israel of the 21st century equals Israel of the Old Testament and therefore has a right to this land. Because what we're in is a we're in a battle over land. It's not only over land um, because the, the Arab world and the largely Islamic uh, Arab world, even though there's a lot of factions and disagreement there, like they're not just, it's not just that they want what they call Palestine for themselves or believe they have a right to it. They really want all Jews dead. Mm-hmm. And if you listen closely, all Jews and all Christians dead mm-hmm. and America wiped off the map. <laughs> and so I don't know if you have noticed this kind of unholy and uncommon union between the left in America and what, what we would call radical jihadists, but they're obviously applying different terminology to them, Palestinian freedom fighters, resistant movements. They refuse to call them terrorists, maybe go so far as to say militants and justify their response because of oppression and settlers and conquest. And it comes down to the same issue of colonialization for those people on the left. And so you have all these voices of college students and professors and media outlets who are pro-Palestinian and they're essentially looking to um, Israel as this oppressive uh, imperial imperial force that needs to be thrown off in the same way that racist America needed to throw off the the bounds of of um, you know Britain's um, slavery driven rule and reign through colonialization. And so there's a rewriting of American history on the left, and now there's an association with American leftism and Islamic and Palestinian causes. But the reality is, and I just want to say this to anybody who kind of aligns with that, or has, it's maybe if you're 30 or younger and you went to college, um, you would have this kind of baked into your cake. And I just want to say to you, especially if you're a Christian and, you, and you're still listening, um, those pro-Palestinians that you would align yourself with and you would buy this narrative, they want to kill you. Like you are not on their team. Like uh, you are supporting people 
who you think are go are the good guys opposing the bad guys, they hate you. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that to you. Yep. Um, you're next. Yep. I think that maybe what a lot of people don't realize there's there's a big push in the uh, in the media to say that um, Islam is a religion of peace. Right. And it's just not true. I mean, it's just really not true. Like if you read the Quran, if you read the Hadiths, like yeah. it. It is literally the opposite of that. It, it is a religion of war, and you're in Islam. You have two houses. You have the house of Islam, and you have the house of war. If you're not in Islam, right. we are at war, war with you. You are in the house of war means we're at war with you. Yes. And actually, there are over 120 verses, 123 verses, I believe, in the Quran that talks about the right to kill other people who right. don't agree with the Quran. Yes. And so, <laughs> the Jews really fall. In, into that, they call them the people of the book, and that yeah. would that would be the Jews and Christians, because yeah. you know the Old Testament, the New Testament, right? And um, and so what's interesting in there is that there's they have this um, they have an eschatology as well, right? Yes. They have this Islamic eschatology that actually states that they're there at, at the end of days, at the last days, there's going to be a war. And it's interesting because the war is actually talking about the Palestinians and the Jews, right. where the ultimately their their messiah they call him the mahdi he's going to come mm-hmm. and it's interesting because in their in their text they say he's going to come for a seven year period and rule and that jesus will come with him and actually pray behind him and do all these miracles pointing to him saying hey you christians were wrong this is actually the messiah this is the guy that you should be following i was not the messiah i was just a prophet and so he's going to come and do all these miracles to show that what he's saying is true which is very interesting because it lines up it's this antithetical of of the book of revelation right, right. and it's an inverse <laughs> it's very it's a verse it. version of it and um and obviously i think muhammad drew from from the bible right and um Anyway, so it's very interesting to see. And and they have this prophecy called the prophecy of the tree and the rock, where it says that in those days, Jews will hide behind these trees and these rocks, and the rocks and the trees will cry out and say, hey, Muslim, oh, good Muslim, there's a Jew over here, come and kill him. Mm-hmm. And so these are these are the scriptures, if you will, that they are following. And it's not, it's not, it's not um, hidden right. <laughs> in their scriptures. It's very openly blatant that, hey, this is your duty right. to kill the unbeliever. Yeah. 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 And that, that is the, the challenge of postmodern religious perspective in America is we have this idea of like America is the place where all religions can come and coexist. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of like religious acceptance, toleration, and niceness is like, has been American Christianity, um, in broad writ for some time. Um, it's just not the case. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not a matter of fundamentalist or extreme Islam mm-hmm. that is just Islam. I mean, Islam, Islam the idea yeah. of peace, it's, and we have this, we have this problem now because there's all this, like, um, this word alteration that's going on. And so, uh, there's words you're allowed to use and words you're not allowed to use and words are changing meaning. And so people are grabbing a hold of an idea attached to a word. And then they're using that word in a different way, bringing people with them only to discover that the word you were using doesn't mean the thing you were meaning it to mean. So for instance, equality started meaning equality of outcome instead of equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about equality and people are brought in behind the flag of equality who are pro equality to recognize the dignity of human beings and right to rights from, from, from God and the purpose of America is to create those rights and establish them from God. And that's why government's here. And everyone gets behind that only to find out that no, we're actually talking 
about things like affirmative action and reappropriation and restitution, restoration, and because it's all about outcome. And so anytime there's a disparity, that equals a discrimination. And so it justifies all sorts of things that people who are using that word equality would not be in support of. And so people were brought along in that journey only to have that word equality replaced then with equity, which then has more to do with what you have than it does the opportunities afforded to you and the rights afforded to you. And so now we have the redistribution of wealth and tax schemes and government. And so we have we in the West have been just led by word soup. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true of Islam. Islam is a religion of peace in as much as peace means submission mm-hmm. with threat of violence. Yep. And so if you will join Islam as a convert, there will be peace for you yes. as a Muslim. Mm-hmm. If you will not, you will be destroyed as an infidel. Mm-hmm. That is what Islam is, yep. right? And so you have to understand the difference, the core identity of these three monotheistic religions and their development in the, the scheme of time. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of Americans um, would have a hard time naming all 50 states without a labeled map. And so history and geography are not s- strong suits, but I don't think people really understand, like even if you were to go back to the Ottoman Empire, like our, the entire the entire continent of Europe and Asia and then all of the Middle East and North Africa has gone through massive alterations in the last 500 years mm-hmm. at multiple iterations. And at the center of that huge geographic mass is the land of Palestine, if you want to call it that, or what, what Israel is calling the, the promised land, which was Canaan. Mm-hmm. Like that land is at the dead center of all of all of that. And you have these these empires I mean, if you go back to World War One, you have Germany is not a country. Uh, it's a Germanic empire. Its borders were much larger and it bordered Russia. And so you have the Turks and the Ottomans in the south who had mm-hmm. all of the Arab states, but it was one united empire. And then you have the British Empire from the UK taking over most of what is now Western Europe. And so there was very few of the countries that we're familiar with. And there was a bit there was a sorting that took place after World War One where a lot of different people groups got the short end of the stick from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And the center of who ends up with is Israel uh, was at the center of that in World War One, and then an iteration of World War Two, And that folded into Zionism, which was a religious uh, uh, Judaism that saw a return to the, the, the um, nation of Israel and a reestablishment of that nation. And if you just move enough Jews to Israel and you push out the people who are there, you can then have a justifiable reason to have a nation. And so like, there's so many different layers to this. So there's Mm -hmm. political layers, there's religious layers. Um, This has been the outcome of bad treaties and wars and ideologies. And so like, it's a very, very, very complex issue. And yet it's really important that we think clearly even if we disagree in the minutia mm-hmm. and as Christians have a unified vision for the centrality of the person of Jesus, mm-hmm. the requirement that we act, speak and work towards love and peace, which to us is associated with freedom and not submission. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think that um, it's interesting because I work in those nations where I am hated mm-hmm. as a Christian mm-hmm. and as a supporter of Israel. Mm-hmm. Those topics you try not to bring up at all right. for the sake of peace, right? right? And and our goal as believers is to draw others to Christ. And so because of that, 
you have to put aside even your beliefs. Like, I believe that Israel has a right to the land because it was God's promise to them. But in, in spite of that, I have to put those aside and say, hey, the Palestinians are people that God loves and wants to draw to himself. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, if you look at the apostle Paul, who was Saul mm-hmm. at the time, yep. he was just as much of a terrorist yes. <laughs> as what we see today. A right? Jewish terrorist. Yeah, a Jewish terrorist. And, 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 and who did, who did Jesus go after? He went after him. Right. And I, and he, he became the biggest apostle of them all. Like, I, I mean, it changed history. Yeah. Right. And so we have to have that same attitude of like, God loves these people. And, and it's so easy to get on one side or the other mm-hmm. and just ignore God's perspective as this, his, his perspective is always drawing people to himself, always overlooking their sin and wanting them to come in repentance to him. Right. Yeah. And so we have to overlook that in love, right? That's what, that's what love is, right? Love is always overlooking the faults of others. And I, and I think we're heading into a time here pretty soon with Israel where it's going, the narrative is going to shift completely yeah. where they have a little bit of support right now. Pretty soon, that's going to be gone completely, and mm-hmm. it's all going to be images of Israel, the occupiers, Israel, the terrorists, right. <laughs> who are who are now persecuting the Palestinians, right? Because they're trying to defend their them, themselves. Yeah, and that yep. is the that is the piece that I think a lot of our people wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't understand that in the in the Middle Eastern world, even among Christians and on in the American ex- far left, Israel is not seen as a, an ally. Mm-hmm. geopolitically and not seen as uh, having any right to the land. Right. And in fact, they're invaders Yes, and they are colonialists mm-hmm. and they are oppressive forces over the people who were already there, which plays into the kind of leftist retelling of the American story of the, the white man who came in with black slaves and crushed the native Americans and took their land. Yep. And so like that evil is now associated with what Israel has done and so it may be hard for you if you're, a, you know, if you're a 68 year old um, Southern Baptist grandma whose grandson graduated from Stanford and is pro-Palestinian, you need to go, how could that be? And the reason is, is that Israel is the enemy in the scenario and in the con- construct that um, a co- most college students are raised in, and that's the view they see the world. And so when they say things like, um, by any means necessary, you hear you are justifying the murder of children and civilians and the raping of women and the carrying off of hostages. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you go, how could you do that? And so you have this, you have these like, um, standoffs of ideology mm-hmm. and one is seeing, um, these jihad jihadist terrorists as, um, freedom fighters, mm-hmm. fighters in the resistance, um, you know? Yeah, they would. They would. It to right. the man. Yeah, they would say. You know, from their perspective, they would say that no, we have every right to murder and kill women, children, supposedly innocent civilians. They would say because we're at war. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and they're and not. Everybody say is at like war. Uh, they're settlers, not citizens. Yes. Right. Well, there's in, in general, there's a lot of dehumanizing yes. of of Jewish people over there, right? Like they're even in the Quran, they're, they're rats. Yeah. Uh, there was a Hadith where <laughs> Muhammad was given a, a lizard on a stick that was cooked. And he was like counting the fingers. He was like, I don't know, this might be a Jew that was turned into a lizard. I don't, wouldn't want to eat a Jew. I mean, this is literally the thought process of people over there. So there's this dehumanizing, yeah. right? So it makes it easier to do those things to the, to those people. And, and this, it's very satanic. The it's same thing is happening now on the right. And so you're getting yep. voices like Ben Shapiro, Glenn Beck, yep. And they're calling Hamas animals. Yes. That they have yeah, no right to life. Right? And so we have a justified response to destroy them because yeah. they're less than human. 
Yep. And so on both sides of this, um, prominent political voices are dehumanizing the other group of people. And this yep. is where it gets really important for me. This is like the, the part that I want to draw attention to because in um, Judaism and in the Old Testament, there is no distinction between the role of God's people and the government of a nation. Mm-hmm. And in the scriptures and in the world that we live in, governments are responsible to protect their people and to do so when necessary with violence. And in Islam, there is no distinction between their eschatological hope expectation, the governments of the Arab world and their religion. And so there is built into that the role of violence in their religion. The problem is that there is no justification for violence in Christianity. Mm-hmm. None. Mm-hmm. I want you to hear me loud and clear. None. Yep. There is no justifiable violence. The invitation to the Christian is come and die, mm-hmm. not come and kill, yep. not come and conquer. Yep. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm-hmm. He said, in fact, if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would be fighting right now. And guess what? Yep. They're not. I told Peter, put his sword away. And so in Christianity and faithful Christianity, and I say that because there's been periods of time in um, the pre-Middle Ages during Christendom when there was a move to push together government and Christianity. And so you get state church and there were crusades of soldiers with crosses and swords killing Muslims. And that is anti-Christian. And so you have to, as a a Christian, look back in history and say they actually got it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so the distinction that we need to make in our modern age is while there are three monotheistic religions who have historic connections to the land of Israel, only one um, unequivocally um, refuses to condone violence. Mm -hmm. Do you understand this? And at the same time, to acknowledge the role of government as being instituted by God and responsible to defend its citizens and justifiably use violence as a state and not as the people of God. Mm -hmm. And so there's a major distinction that's right there. And one of the reasons that I'm very concerned in this moment is that a lot of dispensational premillennialist pro-Israel right-wing Christians are saying things like we just got to we just got to wipe Gaza off the face of the mm-hmm. earth. That is an unchristian thing to say. Yes. And it is an unchristian thing to do. Yep. And I ask you in your support of geoethnic Israel, do you know there are 3 Christian churches on the Gaza strip? Mm-hmm. Do you know that there's about 1200 to 1800 believers who are living under the reign of terror that is Hamas as Palestinians, not Jews? who have given their lives to Jesus and who are trapped in the middle of this, this hellscape. And those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. And when you say Israel's justified in destroying the Gaza Strip, you are calling for and condoning the elimination by violence of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yep, that's right. So this is not a small thing. Mm-hmm. And so this brings us back to the question of, who has a right to this land? Because that's what this is about. It's about multiple things, but the land is at the center of it. Mm-hmm. Because Palestinians do want the land. They believe it's theirs. They, they 
mostly want Jews and Christians dead, and they mostly want a caliphate under which Islam takes over the entire world. And that's what they're working towards. And so like they condone violence and that's a part of their uh, religious belief. And they're, they are a, they're focused on death and not life Mm -hmm. for them. And this is true in the, in the Arab world. Like it's a brutish, violent world to live in. That's had nothing but uprising after uprising and calamity and fights among is among Muslims and Arabs. And Mm -hmm. so it's very clear why they would imagine a world in which life is nothing death is where it's at and you want to die for the right thing. And so it really is a religion of death. Mm-hmm. Whereas Judaism and Christianity that are religions of life and yes. they are religions of freedom and not uh, oppression, not submission to authority. Right. And so there's, there's things that Judaism and Christianity have in common because Christianity, obviously we see ourselves as the fulfillment of the pre-Christ Judaism um, and so then, then you get back to this question of, well, how do you fit claims to the right of this dirt into your religion and then therefore your geopolitical position? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you do have to take a nuanced position, like you said, right? You do have to take that position of if, if you do believe that Israel has the right to be there in the land, okay. But at the same time, all humans are made in God's image, right? We, sh- we as believers, we respect the sanctity of human life right. in general, yeah. no matter who it is. It doesn't matter, you know. And and not only that, our goal is to draw those people to Christ. Right. And so and so, if you go and say, "Hey, wipe them off the map," I mean, that's that's horrendous. I mean, it's in God's own eyes. It's it's if you're calling for genocide of any any people group over there, I mean, it's just it's wrong, right? And we have to be really careful with our language right now because I've I've read the same comments of like, well, just get rid of them. Like they have every right now. Israel has every right now, they would say, to go and just completely wipe them out. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. I mean I mean, if Israel were to do that and if Israel has the power to do that right now if they wanted to, they would be wiped out by every surrounding nation. I mean right. they have to they have to balance this themselves. So it's not just like, oh do we want to do it or not? Right. It's we have to think about what other people are are going to perceive us as doing, and as believers, we have to think the same thing. We have to be careful what we say on social media because people will take that. Well, that's the, that's the view of a Christian. Then you right. know, wipe them out, right? <laughs> Which is anti-Christian, yep. anti-Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. and and this exposes the second of the two major weaknesses of the amillennial position. So the first one is it requires a a rather complex interpretation of revelation, Mm -hmm. not of the rest of the Old Testament, not of the rest of the Bible, but of revelation in particular and of apocalyptic literature in in general. And so that can be challenging. Um, The second is that because amillennialism and its interpretive method sees Christ as the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel and then fits all of those prophetic texts into an almost completely fulfilled Bible prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not looking for the this day and age to fulfill what is written. Mm-hmm. It would, there's no expectation. The only expectation is the imminent return of Christ. And everything else is just the move of the church missionally to reach all peoples with the gospel and to let the Holy Spirit do his work to draw people and to transform them. Mm-hmm. And so we have an expectation of global revival and of many people, both Jews and Muslims and secularists and people from every nation, every tribe hearing the gospel. There's a big push to bring missionaries to every place to get the scriptures translated. But there's no there's not like a is this a sign of the end? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so one of the strengths, I didn't give the weakness yet. One of the strengths is um, when this happens and our awareness of when is actually not important. It's, it's, it's a common human uh, impulse to go. Is it now? I mean, this is the disciples in Acts one, right? Mm-hmm. Is it now you will yep. restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and again and again and again, the answer, the biblical answer is it's above your pay grade. Mm-hmm. You don't get to know. Uh, Jesus doesn't even know the father's like holding this for his own purposes. But for the amillennialists, the, the expectation is the a sudden and imminent return of Christ. And that could happen at any moment. And so you want to be found being faithful to God's revealed purposes, mm-hmm. but there isn't really any unfulfilled Bible prophecy in that interpretive method. Mm-hmm. Now, the only major hangup then is how do you explain the <laughs> presence of Israel <laughs> on the earth? Mm-hmm. Because if you have this, this, uh, diaspora in the first century after the sacking of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD 70 by Titus, the Roman emperor, and then the explosion of Christianity and the the Jews living in enclaves throughout Europe and in the Middle East, then that's, that's fine. If there's these ethnic Jews who rejected Christ, their Messiah, and that would be one people group among thousands that need to be evangelized. But then, then you're faced with the reality of this Zionist influx back into the land which really started in the late 19th century. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this has been an issue all throughout the Ottoman Empire. I don't know if you guys know that the Ottoman Empire was established right around the time of the Protestant Reformation. So yeah. 15, I think 19 mm-hmm. was the official kind of beginning of the Ottoman Empire, which of the Turks is a Muslim empire. Mm-hmm. So it is a nation state and an empire that's vast and also completely aligned with the principles of um, Islam and the Quran. Mm -hmm. Also filled with brutality and infighting and sex. Massively. Yeah, and it was nothing but a troubled 400-year experience that eventually was destroyed uh, as a a repercussion of World War I. Mm -hmm. So the Germanic Empire was seeking to take over basically all of Eastern and Western Europe, pushing its borders well into Russia and going all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, that was the the Germanic impulse mm-hmm. that was obviously fueled by na- elitism and fascism. Um, and then they they failed. And World War One obviously dragged in the United States. And then World War Two dragged in the United States. And at the end of these wars, there was all of this chopping up of these countries. And the Ottoman Empire f- fell at the end of World War One. And this is where Britain, this this next level empire, kind of comes in to go, okay, well, we'll play mediator and we'll take over. And so France and Britain take over the, what was the Ottoman empire and divide it up and then colonialize it. And then they're, they don't want to be there, but they're taking it over because it's just utter mayhem and there's no leadership. And so they start try to broker peace with the peoples who were there unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. And so if you study kind of the, from about 1897 with the, uh, initial Zionist movements, that's purely, um, Judaic, it's just, um, Jews who are saying it's time for us to go back and there's lots of reasons for them to go back. They've been a persecuted people group in every place they've ever gone by everyone mm-hmm. always. Yep. And so they're not welcome. They're mistreated. And so from 1897 all the way through to World War One, you get this slow influx of Zionists returning to Israel and just setting up, buying land. And uh, Britain had control over it. So they're just selling them little enclaves of land. But when you, you know what it's like, especially if you live in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Southern California, you know what it's like to live in a place where there's a sudden influx of uh, immigrants and people who aren't like you and don't think like you and don't act like you and don't like you, it suddenly changes the world you live in. And so this is where the Israel Palestinian conflicts begin. And after the Holocaust, when people were fleeing Nazi Germany, 
that exploded even more. And then because of the momentum and the role of both uh, the British Empire, followed by the UN and the support of the United States, and a lot of that has come from a religious backing, not just a political backing, this Zionist movement was born. And so for me as an amillennialist, that's not on my eschatological map. Mm-hmm. It's not an event that I'm going, this is a sign of the end. It's just, it is what it is. Uh-huh. And so for some people, they go, that's too much of a coincidence. Yep. And I'm sure that's your take. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I, I, and not a, not even, you know, I don't think you even necessarily have to look at geopolitical situations to come to that conclusion necessarily. Because, you know, I, I think that all through the last 2,000 years, you know, people knew that Israel had to be back in the land in order for the Antichrist to appear and stop sacrifices on the Temple Mount where there's no temple right now even, right? right. So so all these things, it's like, well, how could how could Jesus return yet if all those things, Israel is not even a nation, right? right. And so it was, it was kind of like one of the stepping blocks had to be, well, obviously they have to be a nation for these things to happen, right? And so I, yeah, I see it very clearly, obviously, if you, if you don't even look at the geopolitical situation, you just say, okay, what the scripture says is this is what it's going to look like, right. then you would expect that that would be, right? And until until recently, though, uh, historic premillennialists and dispensational premillennialists, they got a very short window from their development and conception until the nation state of Israel was reinstituted in 1948. But there was no expectation of an actual geoethnic Israel until the millennium. Mm-hmm. So the expectation was Jesus shows up and, and establishes and establishes it. And so uh-huh. he shows up in Jerusalem. And so the question then became, well, he says he's going to come into his temple and the temple is destroyed. Mm-hmm. So their expectation was not necessarily a new bordered geoethnic Israel established, there would be a temple built. Right. And so like that was where the expectation is. Instead, they got the 1948 um, self-proclamation of Israel and then the brokered peace deal that fell through between the Palestinians and the, and then they got the, the, all the skirmishes that went back and forth. And then the 1967 mm-hmm. uh, six day war and then the 1973 and then the, the overtaking and the giving back of the Sinai Peninsula to Egypt and like everyone unhappy. Mm-hmm. So everyone feeling like Israel got more than their their fair share. Israel saying, hey, you had your chance and you gave it up. And so you fought us. We didn't start this fight, but we're going to end it. And so there's all this like geopolitical tension surrounding the question of who has a right to the land. And mm-hmm. if you are a Christian who's an amillennialist, you would say, well, no one has like a right in that sense. There's no divine right to the land. The, Islam- the Islamics, the Muslims do not have a divine right. The Jews do not have a divine right. Christians do not, do not have it. There's no religious divine right at all. And so you end up with this geopolitical question that your question is, um, who should be an ally based on principles of peace, freedom, righteousness, democracy, uh, and then political association. Like this is a very volatile anti-American part of the world. And to have an ally in that part of the world, is a really big deal. And this is, this is, I feel like, a big part of why Hamas struck now is not only because it was 50 years from the 1973 war. It's not only because it was at the top of a holiday. It's not only because it was unexpected and they were finally ready for it. Uh, but it's also because Israel and Saudi Arabia were brokering peace deals. Peace deals. And that's the mm-hmm. last thing Hamas wants <clears throat> is more stability and more peace among uh, Arab nations and Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you talk about eschatology, right, I think even if you don't say eschatology, I think if you just go back to what is the original issue here, it was Israel. It's Isaac and Ishmael, right? Mm -hmm. Isaac and Ishmael. It goes all the way back to that. And when you talked about 70 AD, when Titus actually, his, his military (laughs) destroyed the temple all the way back then, if you actually look at it, it was 
Titus, Rome had conscript armies back right. then. Yes. And that area where they were at, it was all, all Arabs. Arabs. Yeah. And it was Arabs that actually destroyed the temple. Right. And they were enraged at the Jews. And Titus was trying to stop them. <laughs> hmm. So it's interesting in that history. He was concerned. He was like, they're going to completely destroy everything. And they did. And he was he didn't want them to destroy the temple. Like they wanted it. They wanted the gold that was in there. And they were enraged. They burned it to the ground. You know what I mean? And so it was. it's interesting because the Arab-Jewish conflict was all the way back then, right? And we're seeing it's just continued on throughout the age. But I think ultimately when you're talking about the land, right? It's interesting. When, and even you mentioned Jesus um, in Acts when, when the disciples asked him, Lord, is it this time you restore the kingdom of Israel? He didn't rebuke him them for asking the question. Right. Because it was a very, it's a very uh, biblical expectation, right? That the, that the kingdom will be restored because Jesus himself is going to rule from the throne of David, right? He's the greater David mm-hmm. eventually. And that's from my, from my eschatology, that's like, well, that's where this is all heading. It says that he will rule from where? From Jerusalem. Right. He will, he will sit on his throne. He will sit on the throne of David in Israel and the nations will come to him. It says right from in flock to Israel, flock to Jerusalem. Right. <laughs> so it's very interesting from that perspective. Yes, I would say that, yes, God has his purposes. I don't understand why. Like, obviously, God knows why. Like, he picked that picked that part of the world and that, and that land. But but it's very interesting because he because uh, God made a covenant with the land. Mm-hmm. And his covenants are everlasting, right? And so that from that perspective, it's like, well, God has a say in this, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think, yeah, I think we have, to, we have to think through all these issues. But at the same time, we cannot take sides in this thing. Like, we cannot say... Even if you believe it, like I do, I believe that Israel has a right to be there. I believe that Israel Israel will be scattered again, right. and that Jesus will redraw them when He returns. But even even though I believe that, I think that you know we have to be careful what we say to other people about this. You know what I mean? Because it will ignite passion in people, <laughs> and it will draw them even away from Christianity. Right? If they think that this is a Christian view, right. then it will draw them away from Christianity. So we have to be really careful with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are major geopolitical implications. And I think it's important for everyone, um, regardless of your eschatological position, mm-hmm. to recognize that there are geopolitical implications. Yes. And so, and then to, to so you want to think carefully mm-hmm. about why you believe what you believe. And it is my opinion and my experience that most people don't. Most people just receive some prepackaged version of Christianity that has intact, included in the bundle, an eschatological perspective that they have just received as a part of the whole. And they don't understand that there's a variety of uh, interpretive methods mm-hmm. and implications of those. And then, therefore, they are more susceptible to um, a political positioning. And right now, especially in America, like, um, those on the far left have been very active in politics. And so even those who would call themselves Christians and uh, democratic Christians and left-leaning liberal Christians, they've been engaged in a stream of uh, at political activism that is now increasingly disassociated with anything remotely Christian. Mm-hmm. And so that's a challenge. But at the same time, that, is happening on the right. And so there's influences like I mentioned Tim LaHaye with the Left Behind series and Hal Lindsey, John Hagee, who are highly politically engaged mm-hmm. and highly 
and, and clearly supportive of Israel in a way that is not only justifying violence against Hamas and Palestinians, but calling for it. It's inflammatory. And calling people mm-hmm. to give to it. Yep. I mean, and so there are, I mean, there are, there are political, geopolitical implications. For instance, it's, we have our, our president now, Joe Biden, who is um, verbally condemning the attacks of Hamas on the nation of Israel. And yet, just a month before this happened, released $6 billion to the Iranian government, who is the lead supporter of Hamas. Mm-hmm. And so he's politically um, funding terror and uh, subversively, and then uh, proactively funding Israel in, it, in its defense. And so we are on both sides of a war mm-hmm. that we are creating yep. under our current administration. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is like unequivocal. There's no arguing about that. You can, make, you can try to defend it. You can say, oh, that, were, that's, that was already their money. That's in Qatar. That's for humanitarian aid. Listen, if I give you $6 million and you, to only use for one thing, you'll use all your other money for that, whatever is important to you. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it, by implication, it is going to do the very, and everyone knows this. All the players know this. This is not, an, this is not a surprise. Um, no one is that dumb or incompetent. Mm-hmm. And so here we are existing in this, you know, we're coming up on an, an election. It's already hotly discussed and debated, and we live in an ever polarized political environment. Um, and now we've got this, this eschatological Bible prophecy. What is the role of Israel? Who has a right to this land? And minimally, we need to be able to, to nuance our conversation and establish the things that matter the most. And that is, as Christians, and this is different than Islam, this is different than Judaism, we recognize the dignity of every human, yes. the, the preciousness of life, and are by very nature of being Christians, not assigning justification to violence as Christians. Mm. Therefore, if you are a Christian first and an American, now you have a political role to play in the establishment of your next government, which is different than if you are a Christian and you are, an, you live in England, if you're British, and you got 50,000 pro-Hamas Islamic um, protesters taking over the city of London and shouting protests about destroying Israel, wiping them off the map, and you have a different political engagement, like you're going to have to work these things out thoughtfully and recognize that when you quickly align yourself with one side of this polarized group, the implication is going to be death for someone. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't ignore that fact. Mm-hmm. And so this is not a small um, topic or one without implication. And so I just want to I just want to implore everyone to think carefully and to step lightly and to hold on to the things that matter the most. And that is Jesus, love, life, and peace. And and to recognize that um, there's a lot you don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a, we have a we have a, a culture of high degrees of confidence and audacity in our speech uh, when we should be very humble mm-hmm. and very trepidatious. Yes. And so, can we just, as a community, can we just go, hey, before I like render judgment or like blatantly align with something or buy a narrative? I mean, the way this is the part that for me and 
I know I'm doing a little monologue here, but um, so this happened on a Saturday, October 7th. Um, Sunday the 8th, I did not preach. So I didn't have to like swallow all of my feelings. While I was heartbroken by what I observed and heard about on Saturday, I mean, just broken at the thought of attacks on civilians, mm-hmm. uh, even, even without taking a side, the fact that there's bloodshed between Israelis and Palestinians that Saturday was very hard. What was even harder was Sunday morning waking up to find out if there had been anything happening overnight and then reading the way that our legacy media was framing this, the words they were choosing to use and not to use. Um, I was, I was, I was irate hmm. because there was already a presentation to our world that was completely one-sided. And I know that there's two sides to this mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not, as you can tell, I'm not like hard, fast over here on the geopolitical right in America um, standing with Israel and, com- and commending violence. Um, but I know that there are two different perspectives on this. And then to see people being led into one way of thinking about it, just have my blood boiling. Yep. And so I just want to say, regardless of where you align, if you're you know a hard, fast Trump supporting Republican, or you're a, a left leaning liberal style um, Democrat, uh, if you're a Christian, Please take a deep breath and step back from this and recognize that wherever you choose to put your stamp of approval, someone's going to die. And so, like, let's not talk about this like it's um, something light. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's very significant. It's very he- it should be very heavy for everybody. Right. I mean, I, 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 I agree. I saw the same thing where you just watch the news and it's like just the way they're talking about everything. It's like, Oh my word, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to stomach, honestly, you know, and, and already we're seeing the narrative switch the other way. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's whatever they want you to believe in people buy it, you know, hook and sinker. Like it's just, it's, it's it comes natural because it's like they're feeding themselves on this, on this media. Right. And so, and so, yeah, yeah, you're right. The media is creating this division, this divisiveness in our, in our country and other nations around the world too. And and that's going to be on both sides of the aisle. So we do have this new alternative media through, through podcasting and individual media companies and their apps and now new platforms. And so people have a way to get a, a version of media that they want that they want. Yeah. And 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you had CNN, you had Fox news and you were going to get two totally different packaged views on the same events. And so you, that people align that way and they're going to do the same thing now. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying, um, every, I, I am saying that everyone has an angle. Yes. And so just because you have a, a group of people who you get your information from, um, recognize that there is no, um, there is no like biblical news outlet <laughs> and there is no actual though. Even the word biblical, I heard Glenn Beck say this yesterday. He was talking about, we need to have a biblical perspective. And I'm like, biblical could mean anything to anyone. Anyone who opens their Bible and claims to be a Christian or a person of the book thinks they're representing the Bible in their, in their take. Mm-hmm. And so I'm saying there is great nuance as it comes to all things eschatology and all things geopolitical. And there's a, ma- a massive amount of backstory And so let's just slow down a little bit and it's okay for you to say, I don't know. I'm heartbroken and I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand this conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, I hate the bloodshed. I want there to be peace. I don't know what the answer to that is. And then study it. Like find some answers for yourself. Ask the, get yourself to the point where you go, well, what do I do with this? And I think even, even on my side of the eschatology view, there's, there's a broad idea 
that any kind of peace treaty in the Middle East is evil. You know what I mean? And no, as believers, we should be all for peace, you know, right. and, and whatever, if it's economic uh, unity between the countries, like we should be all for as, as Christians, any kind of peace. And it, of course, nothing is ever going to create the peace like Jesus will when he is established right. on the earth. Right. Yeah. But we should still be striving for that, you know? And I think, I think the pre, one of the weaknesses of a premillennial idea is that it, it does say, well, we should be against any of this kind of stuff that happens because obviously it's the antichrist or whatever, you know, it's the mark of the beast, whatever. Right. Right. There's, we should be, no, come on guys. Like we sh- as believers should be pro peace, how, whatever that looks like as nations are trying, yeah. attempting in all their weakness right. to create peace in those areas. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. And, as Christians too, like one, the, the prophetic voice of the Christian church is, has a mandate to, to stand up and call evil, evil yes, and good, good. And we yeah. live in a world that calls evil, good and good, evil. Mm-hmm. And there's been a, there's been a uh, distinct lack of courage mm-hmm. among Christians. And I think part of the, the, um, the kind of MAGA movement among evangelicals especially has been there, there's finally a willingness to stand up for something because the tough guy showed up. And so it's given some Christians some courage, but we don't want to have zeal without wisdom, right? (laughs) We want to be able to stand up for courage. We want to actually think through some things and come at this, not primarily from a political standpoint, Mm -hmm. uh, not primarily from a bit of a a myopic Western. We live, we live in a country with two neighbors who are not, who are not a threat to us, Mm -hmm. um, surrounded by two oceans, with the largest military and the the most prosperous economy known to humankind. And so you can't expect that you are going to understand what it's like for everyone right. else and right. what it's been like right. uh, over history and throughout generations. Yes. And so like b- become a student of world history mm-hmm. before you decide who's on the right side and the wrong side. Yep. And don't hear me saying I'm pro-Palestinian by this either. Like I have very complex views on this. I am not anti-Israeli whatsoever. I think Israel is our best ally in the Near East. And I think that there's reasons why, uh, but, but Israel is not a, it is not even a Jewish nation. I mean, like we assume Israel equals Jew and um, that, that is like not the case, right? So you have, you have people who claim Jewish heritage returning to a land that their ancient text describes as the promised land for them who reject the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who claims to be the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And yet they still want to retain ownership rights of this land. But even in Israel, Israel right now politically is filled with um, factions and animosity and a spectrum of belief and secular Jews and fundamentalist Orthodox Jews and um, reform Jews. And they're all fighting for how should this work out? And right now they're unified because they have a common enemy. Mm -hmm. But even just a few months ago, they could barely come up with a system of government that allowed them to move forward. And there was nothing but conflict happening. And so like, you can't just take the word Israel from the Old Testament and apply it to the word Israel in the news today. If you're doing that, you're you're making some incredible leaps um, that end up making uh, some justifiable, I think, mistakes. And so we just need to be able to talk about this mm-hmm. with a lot of nuance and and wisdom and care. It, it, everyone, I even love this about the Apostle Paul. So in Romans 9, 10, 11, he addresses the topic of the rejection of Jesus and then that implication on well, what, what about Israel? 
Like, is God unfaithful to all of his promises? And I mean, that's what those chapters are about. Mm-hmm. And he basically comes to the conclusion, like they were, they were chosen by God to reject Christ because Christ had to die. Part of God's plan to restore a people for himself involved the hardening of Israel who had a hard heart already, a stiff neck and a hard heart historically. And so God stopped his, his, um, his kind, compassionate uh, returning of his people to him so that Christ would die. And so that's a mystery. And Apostle Paul recognizes that. But he says, listen, if the rejection of Jesus by the Jews led to salvation for all, what does include, what does their inclusion mean? Mm-hmm. And so he has an expectation and he says um, that he, he, he writes this even through tears. And so there's a, like, there's like a, a, an emotional, meaningful compassion toward people who are opposed to the purpose of God, whether they're a Muslim or they're a Jew, or they are a secularist, if they're a leftist, if they're from Bulgaria or Canada, like we need to recognize that this is God's world. Mm -hmm. This is God's world. Everyone will give an account for the deeds done in the body. Those who are given, um, elevated to roles of oversight and governing princes and Kings and governors and presidents, they will give an account to God for the way that they managed and how they fought for the good to incentivize that and punished evil and opposed that. And so like Jesus is coming back. We all agree on that. And this is his whole earth. And he's, he sees something special about that little strip of land on the Mediterranean. And he's chosen to put his name there. And he's going to redeem this whole earth. And, and he's going to do a thing, in my view, a new Jerusalem comes down from God. And so he's going to bring that and he's going to be here and he's going to rule and reign. Um, and so like, this is my, like my messianic expectation. And so it's important that we all cultivate what that expectation is. I had, um, two Jehovah's witnesses come to my door. That's part of the reason I was a couple minutes late for this, um, podcast recording. Um, just as I'm trying to leave and they know me cause they come every once in a while. And they said, we're just going door to door to ask people what they think the kingdom of God means. What do you think? What do you teach your people the kingdom of God is? And I said, well, gentlemen, I don't have time to talk with you today. <laughs> <It's a> long <laughs> conversation. <laughs> um, and obviously there's major disagreements that we have. But I did say to them, the kingdom of God exists presently in the rule and reign of Jesus in the hearts of his people. Mm-hmm. He's the one who brings us peace. And we submit ourselves to his purposes every single day. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom of God will come in its fullness when Jesus is reigning in Jerusalem and the whole earth experiences the peace that God made where he dwells with mankind and there will be no more war and Jesus will be our king. Yep. And they, their eyes lit up and they were like, that's awesome. Nobody gets that part, you know? And um, so that was the end of our conversation. But I just want to like remind all of our listening audience, Jesus is the rightful king of the earth. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a Jew. God fulfilled his purposes and his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Mm -hmm. God is going to be faithful to everything he has ever said. He's going to bring peace. And so our job is not to get behind the slaughter of anyone. Our job is to stand as representatives of Christ, to hold out a way to have peace in your heart, peace with God and peace among others, to demonstrate that through love and to use wisdom in our words, even where we disagree. And this is one of the things I love and respect about you, Jonathan. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, um, I really value your input and your perspective, especially where it differs from my own. Mm. But I also recognize that your, your heart is like aligned with King Jesus. 
Yes, as we all should be, right? I and mean, it, it is the number one thing. It is. That's that is <laughs> that's what right. matters. Yes, that's what matters. And, and you have demonstrated a commitment to His kingdom by giving your life away, mm-hmm. putting yourself in physical danger to bring good news to people who are not like you. Mm-hmm. And like, I want us all to have that, whether whether that is through a Facebook interaction or with a purple-haired, nose-ring-wearing liberal waiter waitress whose pronouns you don't understand. Mm-hmm whoever it is, God loves every human being on this planet right now. Mm. Yep. And he wants to bring them to himself in love and truth. The love part happens immediately. And like you said earlier, sometimes that growth in discipleship and that changing of our minds is a much slower a process. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be acting in love and then bearing with one another in love, pointing all things to Jesus mm-hmm. and just being really careful about how we engage on this topic in particular. Yep. I agree. Amen. I think this has been a fruitful conversation. Really good. Yeah. Really I, I wish at some point this uh, will be videoed. I wish you could see all of Bill's facial expressions. It's been a, it's been a joy to, to watch me, for me to watch him processing as we have this conversation. <laughs> I always wonder, what what did you think just then? But yeah. um, we'd love to hear uh, from you. And so please reach out to us and send your questions or comments. Um, if you have any questions, send them to me, Jesse, at Join With Jesus. If you have any uh, angry hate mail, what's your email address, Jonathan? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> you don't remember. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been, it's a been great, really fun. It's been a great conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we look forward to being with you next time. We hope you enjoyed this week's deep dive into the scriptures. Our goal is to help you know Jesus better so that you can implement your identity in Christ, engage in your unique purpose and calling, and create community around your relationship with Jesus. For more content like this and opportunities to connect with us in person, find us online at joinwithjesus.org.